lost and found. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the lost sheep, uh, willfully stupid, lost and found. Last week, the coin, wondrously valuable, lost and found. And today, in fact, we're going to spend a few weeks looking at this, the son, willfully sinful, lost and found. Now, we've been kind of stressing this. If we need to understand what these parables mean, we need to understand who Jesus is speaking to, and he's really clear. Um, He's not speaking, first and foremost, to those who are ostensibly lost. He's speaking to the religious people. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 1, tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them, so he told them this parable. So that's really important, especially for this parable too. That's who Jesus is speaking to. And in many ways, the first two parables, which are short and snappy, set the scene. It almost gets listeners into the groove. Um, You know, they, they kind of think, yeah, sheep, lost and found, coin, lost and found. Very few nuances there. And then Jesus says, I want to tell you a third story. They're kind of saying, I think we've got the idea now. Okay? We've got the, why why are you having to tell us a third story? Um, Because we we get it. But (laughs) this parable um, really is, is quite shocking. It turns things upside down. It explains in greater depth and detail the lostness of the lost and the graceful love of the, the Father. But it, it really turns the expectations of the listeners absolutely upside down. And we're going to be looking at this really over the next three weeks. We have an incredible explanation of what the gospel of grace is. And so in this parable, we see the lostness of the lost. We see the nature of repentance. We see the incredible love of the Father. But then it ends again with the lostness of the lost. More about that in a few weeks' time. Now, this is our problem. And that is, we know this story, don't we? We know, everyone knows. We have the, you know, honestly. And it doesn't help, you see, because in English Bibles, it's given a title. Because that's what the story, we know this. It's the story of the prodigal son. Everybody knows that. Except, of course, that phrase isn't in the story, and it's not in the Bible because actually the, the sort of title is, is something which the Bible uh, publishers have put. And the problem with a title is a title kind of sets you up for what you're looking for. So if this title, if this is the title, The Prodigal Son, we would therefore assume that's what we need to look at. That's obviously the center of the, the, of the parable the prodigal son. It's like, you know, you go to the theater and you see someone on the stage and you see this great big spotlight on the person and all the eyes are drawn to that person. That's what happens, isn't it, in the theater. And in many ways, a title does that. So everybody's now looking at the prodigal son. But the danger is that we don't look beyond it. Now, wait a minute. Who is Jesus speaking to? Hmm. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He's not speaking to prodigals. He's not speaking to the lost. He's speaking to, well, probably more like people like me, maybe like you. 
Now, Jesus helps us because actually he gives us a title for this parable. This is far better. Have a look. Uh, Jesus continued, there was a man who had how many sons? Two sons. Right. So that's helpful, isn't it? So rather than just focusing on the prodigals, Jesus, now wait a minute, minute. this is about two sons. So that's helpful, isn't it? And we think, yep, lost and found. Two sons, lost and found. But then we, we, we tend to think, oh, wait a minute. Um, so we look at the younger son, and he was lost, and he is found. But actually, it, it doesn't work like that. And over the next few weeks, we'll, we'll see a deeper truth. The two sons, in many ways, reflect two groups of people. The younger son, in many ways, speaks um, about those who are ostensibly lost. And Jesus got into trouble because of the tax collectors and sinners who were drawing near to him. Something so attractive about Jesus, they wanted to be around him. And in many ways, the younger son represents that group. The older son, we haven't included that uh, in the passage, we'll do that next week. Well, maybe the older son, who will make an appearance at the end, maybe that's more like the people he's speaking to, the grumblers, the religious people. So, again, the focus, we need to be careful here. There are two sons. Uh, and, and actually, frankly, it would be far better to think that Jesus is focusing on the older son than the younger son. The younger son is emphasizing an important point, but the parable, well, it's really about the older son. And because that's why so often, if it was just about the parable of the younger son, then you would, you would finish at verse 24. So verse 24, we'll read through this in a minute. For this son of man was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Yeah, hey, lost and found. And, and if it was just about the parable of the, uh, uh, of the prodigal son, that's where you'd end the story. But it goes on. And the problem in churches, because um, so often we feel we have a lack of time, it's just easier because it's actually a really long reading. It's a long reading. So it's much easier to split it into two, and then you think, well, it's just about the prodigal son, when maybe Jesus is saying something far deeper. So what I want to do um, is to read through um, the first part, and uh, what I'm going to do, we're going to pause for comment, because um, within that culture, this parable would have been understood in ways we perhaps don't understand it, okay? Because, you know, we're we live in a different culture, a different age. And three things we're going to pick out of this. Uh, we'll see the willful depth of sin, far greater than we might think. You know, you kind of think, oh, prodigal son, oh, you know, just shrug, shrug your shoulders, roll your eyes. Were they young? They'll be, they're kind of, it's what young people do. But actually, the depth of the seriousness of what this younger son has done, um, it, it might be lost on us. Um, we'll see the nature of repentance and the ridiculous, shocking, prodigious love of the Father. Okay, so help me out here. Let's uh, have this uh, in front. I'm going to read through, but I'm going to pause, and hopefully, um, as I do, we'll understand this a little bit better. 
Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger, so the younger one would have been in his teens, um, probably under 18, because he's clearly not married. So therefore, on that basis, he's probably 16, 17, something like that. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Oh, so, so the older son would have got two-thirds. That's his inheritance. The younger son would have got one-third. That's the split. Okay. But, and, and you might have heard me say this before. He says, Father, give me my share of the estate. There's a problem here. When do you normally inherit? When someone dies. So what the son is saying, he's saying to his father, I wish you were dead. Wow, I wish you were dead. Now, don't forget, um, life was lived in community. So this was shocking, not just for the family, but for the community. This, this, is a, this causes offense, not just for the family, but for the community. The younger son says, Father, I wish you were dead. Wow. And... It says he divided his property between them. Now, you've got to understand that they didn't have cash points in those days. So the father couldn't go down to the cash point and withdrew, withdraw his share of the inheritance out. Because wealth and, um, and assets were fixed. They were in land and livestock. So for this to happen, the father would have almost certainly have had to sell land and sell livestock. So that's a catastrophic, from a business perspective, that's a catastrophic effect on your family business. The father had to sell, um, the, uh, the, to, to, to divide the stock uh, and to sell it because it says um, not long after that, uh, the younger son got together all he had. And, and so by then it had been transferred into money because he, obviously he couldn't, kind of go to a foreign country with a whole load of sheep and cattle and land. So it was monetarized at this point. By the way, isn't it amazing that in the story, the father did what the younger son wanted? Is, have you thought about that? The father could have said, yeah, we would have done that, because you know, teenagers come up and say some ridiculous things, and you just laugh, don't you? Um, the father could have said, no, are you being, he didn't. There's something about the love of the father which gives freedom to the younger son. And that's sometimes lost on us, isn't it? The love of the father gives freedom to the son, even though uh, his actions would, would mean disaster. There's something about the, the love of the father, even in that. So, anyway, um, we see what's happened. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. It's interesting, the son not only insulted the father, I want you, he wants to get as far away from the family as possible. It's interesting, isn't it? So, at, at every level, there is willful rebellion here. 
He wants to get as far away as possible. And, and that also meant far away from the covenant God too, because he was going to a country um, full of uh, non-Jews who did not uphold the covenant. There's a sense of the younger son not only rebelling against his father, but rebelling against the covenant, the covenant God of Israel. So, he squandered his wealth in wild living. Well, we can imagine um, what happened there. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. This is a Jew. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So in many ways, um, the, the fall of this, of this teenager is now complete. Uh, he is, is living almost as a Gentile, away from the covenant God, the God of Israel, and he's mixing with pigs. So you can see this kind of fall, can't you? So, you know, when you kind of think the prodigal son, um, well, he's having a bit of... This, this is someone who has willfully rebelled against everyone and everything, and he couldn't stoop lower. That's the lostness of the lost. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I don't, sometimes we, we do come to our senses, but sometimes it's, it's because of the, the consequences of our actions. <laughs> you know, God does use the consequences of our actions to speak to us. Maybe we all know that in, 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 in a degree. Uh, that, that through our own willful um, rebellion, our willful sin, um, we get ourselves into such a state that sometimes, not, not always, there's a sense of we come to our senses. What have I done? He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. It's quite interesting here. In these parables, repentance is a key part of these parables. The, the lost are found, and a response of that is always repentance. Faith and repentance. And, and there is here, and it's quite interesting that there are two aspects to the, the younger son's repentance. He's not just sorry about the situation. Sometimes, you know, we get into trouble and we're sorry, but we're sorry because, you know, effectively my actions have just got me into trouble and I'm just sorry. Um, and we call those crocodile tears. Don't but there's something deeper here because the son has realized something. He's not just sinned against his father. He says, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against heaven. That's a deeper sense of repentance, isn't it? There's a sense that this, this younger son realizes that actually before God, he's failed. He's failed his father. He's failed the community. But actually, ultimately, he's failed God. And actually, true repentance always, 
really starts with that, that sense of not just being sorry for what I've done, but there's a sense I've grieved not just people, I've grieved God. David does that, doesn't he, in Psalm 51. You know, Bathsheba, um, the, the whole episode. And what does he say? I've sinned against you and against you only. There's a sense that that's true repentance, isn't it? Not just being sorry, it's being a, a sense of, God, I have grieved you. I have grieved you. But it's quite interesting because, and we'll see this next week, um, the younger son actually has a way of dealing with this in the same way as we'll see the older son does. He's, he's trying to, it's called works righteousness. He thinks, you know, I've really fouled up here. So how do I get, well, maybe if I kind of work for my father. So I'm not going in as a son, I'm going in as a, as a workman. It's interesting, isn't it? He's, he's kind of saying, maybe I can earn my way back. Earn my way back. Well, he got up, went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Again, the father was out looking. He was, he was looking. He was looking. Everyone hearing this would have thought the, the younger son got what was coming to him. We would have felt that, actually. He, he got his comeuppance, serves him right. That's justice, justice, but not the father, not the father here. You know, when we see the compassion, it says the compassion of the father. He was filled with compassion. He ran to his son. Again, you probably heard me say this before, an older person, a distinguished person would not have done that. Important people don't run. I've said this before. I've never seen the queen hitch, well, when she was alive anyway, hitch her skirt up and, and run for a number 52 bus because people like that don't run. And so culturally, wow, that's, we don't expect these people. But there's something about the compassion and the love of the Father here. He threw his arms round him and kissed him. And literally in the Greek, he, he just it's not just a kind of a, a gentle kind of hug. This is a full-on um, almost surrounding his body with his body. And some commentators think, actually, there, there might be another reason for that. Don't forget, this is a, a culture. Um, it's a shame-honor culture. There are, even in, in that part of the world still has a shame and honor culture. And he had brought shame, deep shame, on the family and on the community. And therefore, this son coming back comes back with a target on his back. And there's a sense of, 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 of the father wanting to get there first to offer him his love and his protection. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, the father kind of interrupts the speech. The son almost trying to, to earn back um, the, 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 the love of the Father. But the Father doesn't allow him. The Father doesn't allow him. And we'll see next week how that was a problem for the older son. How can I earn God's love? How can I deserve 
God's love. But, but before the speech could come out, the father intervenes. Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Wow. His attempt almost to, to, to come up with some sort of contract um, to, to earn back um, the father's love is completely swept away by the compassion and the grace of the father. But there's something else happening here. Kate uh, myself were talking about this as we were walking yesterday. And this is the point, and we'll see this next week. If anyone doesn't start to have sympathy for the older son, then we haven't understood the passage. Because there, there is a sense here that he gets the best robe, he has the ring on his finger, and at this point, he becomes fully integrated into the family again. Fully integrated into the family again. Which could mean, which could mean that when the father dies, he's going to inherit again. Because he's brought back into the fold. And therefore, when the father does die, he's going to... You can understand that this is not fair. This is not fair. And you can understand why, why the Pharisees were grumbling right at the beginning. This is not fair. And, and in many ways, if, we, if we're to understand this, we're going to probably say, that's not, that's not right. But, but what Jesus is saying, and he's saying this to the Pharisees, he's saying God's compassion and grace is the only way we can come to know him. You cannot be good enough or religious enough or respectable enough or moral enough. No. All of us depend on God's grace and mercy, his prodigious grace, his outrageous grace, his shocking grace to come to him. That's pretty good news, isn't it? It really is. That's the heart of the gospel. That's why the gospel is good news. But of course, this story goes on, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and we'll have to pick that up next week. And, and we'll start to see, hopefully, not just how the older son felt, but, but actually, spoiler alert, Actually, how that older son turns out to be the real lost son. And spoiler alert, he remains lost as well. Everything is turned upside down. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your incredible grace. And as we come and as we put our trust in you, we know what it is to turn from, from ways where we would try and earn your love. Lord, forgive us for, for any way we have done that. And instead, may we just rely completely on your prodigious love and grace. And as we, we come to the communion meal, which is the, the ultimate sign and symbol of that, may we with real thankfulness and gratitude and sheer amazement uh, receive again your grace and your love. We ask it in Jesus' name.
We're going to pause and we're going to pray. We're going to pray.